with regards to announcements, uh, we are going to have church camp applications this Sunday. We'll be out on the welcome desk, so we're going to be taking applications this time. So if you have a child or a uh, cousin or someone in the neighborhood you want to uh, take one to, uh, once again, our church camp is completely free. Uh, I appreciate the church stepping up when it comes to that, to do that. So uh, we want to fill it up. We want to reach the community. We want to reach our families. We think church camp is an opportunity. But we'll have those uh, Sunday. So just keep that, keep that in mind. All right. Uh, turn with me to uh, James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're going to read one verse, verse 6, 16 I mean, sorry. So I'll tell you where I'm at, we were here about a year ago, actually a little bit before a year ago. If you remember before the pandemic, we were actually praying about revival then, and it actually had some things scheduled that were right on the cusp, and sure enough, COVID hit, the pandemic hit, and it kind of went on the back burner, and and a year ago, over a year ago, uh, the Lord had really put it on my on my heart about prayer. And uh, I can't stress this enough. Delbert's taught me this in ministry and in my time of ministry. I hate to be a broken record. I try not to be a broken record. But sometimes this old thick skull of mine needs to hear it more than once. And I, I just want to tell you this right now. Nothing is going to happen at this church without prayer. I'd like to say there's somewhere else, but some way else. But if it, it, it's going to come through prayer. And, and when I mean prayer, I don't mean prayer. I mean, <laughs> I mean what James 5 and 16 means. And I think it's going to have to come a time in our lives. And, and God's just dealing with me again. Once again, he dealt with me about a year and a half ago about this, about, uh, about really getting hungry for prayer. And, and what he showed me in scripture is the greatest account we can find. And we're going to talk about that is in 1 Samuel chapter 1 in, in the prayer of Hannah. That I don't believe there's any other prayer in the Bible that is as strong as the account of Hannah's prayer. To the point where her soul was vexed. The point where she was literally in pain. To the point where Eli, we'll talk about that a little bit. Eli thought she was drunk. You know, that's, for the priest to, to, for her to be praying in a condition that even the priest said, I've never even experienced that before. It's not enough for her to call her drunk to see that. But I think that's where we have to come to. And, and I just want to ask the question tonight, like, if we can really take the walls down. Let's talk about revival for a second. Let's talk about an encounter. And I've been, God's been dealing with me lately about, listen, you don't need a week. Uh, we can encounter Christ every time we, these doors open. But as, as he's been refining that thought process in my own life, he says the point about revival is there's something about uh, making it hurt. You know what I mean by that? Like setting aside an entire week. I mean, once again, church is amazing and we can have it every time the doors open. But we're conditioned to Sunday. But now in the world we're living in, and I think more now than ever, it hurts to dedicate an entire week. People say, I got kids, I got work, I got, I'm tired. And you know, so this is where the rubber meets the road about to set aside an entire week where it almost hurts to, to, to see God move. But I think God honors that. So, uh, He's been dealing with me about the birthing process and what we see in scripture. And, and if you've ever had a child, <laughs> or you've ever witnessed someone having a child, I'm a man, I've never had a child. <laughs> and uh, to see my wife be pregnant three times, after the first one, I'd be done. If I was a woman, I'd say it's not worth it. You know, especially when it's easy at the beginning, maybe. But when you get into those final stages, I'm telling you, it, it, it's painful. <laughs> and uh, everything changes. You know, when my wife got, when Megan got pregnant, uh, you know, her appetite changed. And her desires changed. 
And things that she used to love, she ended up hating. And the things she ended up hating or used to hate, she ends up loving. And it's, it's it, you know, your whole, uh, your whole being is completely changed through this birthing process. And it, it is hard to, to watch because from the outside, but to see her grow. But the reason a woman or a man and a woman do it is because they know what will be produced is absolutely beautiful. And I just want to encourage you tonight that the Holy Spirit wants to birth something in you. And, and I'm telling you, it's going to be, we're going to see in Scripture, it's like birthing pains. It's going to have travail. It's going to have some wailing. It's going to have a process where your appetite changes and your desire is changing. But the reason we go through it is because we know it will be produced out of it. Amen. So I want to ask the question tonight, and, and you guys can respond if you want, but if we could take the walls down. Uh, say, listen, I believe that God can do anything, and you believe God can do anything, so what would that be? If you would say, if, if we could really birth something through prayer, because we're going to talk about in the scripture, it says, whatever you ask in prayer, if you believe, it'll come, it'll come to fruition, you know? And that is like the birthing process, this conception, this expectation, when two unions connect to create something. So that is the will of man and the will of the Holy Spirit to produce something supernatural, something beautiful. So what would it be? I mean, I mean, really, the, the, it's limitless to say, well, I have a loved one that I've been praying for for years. And man, if God could birth something, it would be that. Or maybe I'd like to see this community reached. Man, there's so much drugs and so much poverty. But man, it seems so overwhelming. But maybe through prayer, we could birth, you know, that, that. And, you know, maybe it's revival. Maybe it's seeing the church full. Maybe it's seeing the altar full. Maybe it's seeing the church revived. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost scary, but it's not. But it is almost scary to say, if the walls can be torn down, there's nothing that we could not produce through prayer. That is the promise of prayer. You know, but I think it's, it's we have to be conditioned that it's not going to come easy. And I'm not talking about the prayer that you do in your, you know, I, I'm not saying don't pray before you eat. I'm not saying don't pray at the stoplight when you have time. But I'm talking about hungry for prayer. I'm talking about where literally it talks about in Romans chapter 8 where the groanings and the utterances that the Holy Spirit intercedes for. And we're going to see that through Hannah. We're going to see that in other scriptures. So, James chapter 5, verse 16 says this. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. And then it says this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. So, real quick, we have to understand righteousness. Righteousness is not based on your merits or your works or the caliber of your character. That is self-righteousness. And according to the prophet Isaiah, it's filthy rags. Does not do any good in the realm of supernatural. Does not do in the realm of good of prayer. The only reason we can have results in prayer is because of the righteousness through Jesus Christ that has been given freely to us. We weren't even allowed. The, the priest in the Old Testament, according to tradition, would tie bells around their ankles and a rope around their waist. Because if they were not ceremonially clean, when they went into the holies of the holies, that they could die at the presence of God. And literally, when the bells would stop ringing, they would have to be dragged back out. That was the, that was the presence of God. And yet we see the writers of Hebrews says, because of Jesus Christ, we can not only come boldly, but confidently to the throne. That's not our righteousness. 
If the priest didn't have it all together, then there's no way Brad Joseph has it all together. But Jesus Christ did it for me that I can access his grace and his power through prayer. So anyway, so that's the righteous man. So I want you to say, well, I'm a good person. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's what Christ is in you. It's your identity in Christ. Once again, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because it is He now intercedes as our mediator, as our advocate to the Father. And He takes our prayer request and says, this one's with me. This one's with me. Think of that. But anyways, I want to talk for a second here. It says the effectual fervent. So effectual fervent in the Greek is the word energio. It actually means energy. Energized. And in fact, uh, the Greek concordance, the lexicon that I read today, it says this, working in a situation that brings it to once, from one stage to the next. It's almost, it says like, for an example, like an electrical current energizing a wire or bringing to a shining light bulb. So once again, it's a separation between just praying. Let's be honest, we know when we just pray and when we pray. Right? We've been there. You know, and usually the sad part is, maybe you guys have been there before, the sad part is, our best times when we pray is when things go wrong, right? Not when things go right, but when we lose control, when we throw our hands up and say, I can't, it seems like those are our best prayers, because we need results. When everything's working fine, we really don't care. We may say we do, we pray out of obligation, but Hannah, man, Hannah needed results, she needed God to move and, and she wasn't satisfied with anything else. And it, that's what prayer really looks like. The effectual fervent. But then it says this. It says uh, that it availeth much. You know what that word availeth is in the Greek? The same word for fervent, effectual fervent. Energia. The same word. So wait a minute. So it's saying that the type of prayer produces the type of results. Energized prayer produces energized results. Dim prayer produce dim results. I believe that. And we see that in Scripture. Matthew 7 and, 20, 7 and 2 says, For with judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And look right here. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. So what you're going to put into it, you're going to get out of it. And I honestly believe there's no limit to what God can do. He's like, how deep do you want to go? I just put a quote up on Facebook today from Leonard Ravenhill. He said, someone's going to pick up this Bible. Someone someday is going to pick up this Bible and read it and believe it and put us all to shame. Because really there's no limit to what God can do. Now there is his will and we need to pray according to his will. But I'm telling you, other than that, and, and obviously I want to pray his will be done because his will is better than the expectation I can have. I'm cutting him short to think otherwise. To say, well, God, I'm praying pretty deep here. He said, you don't got a clue. My ways are always going to be higher than your ways. My thoughts are always going to be higher than your thoughts. But we also see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, once again, energized in prayer, energized in results. What you bind will be bound. And what you loose will be loosed. And I think we need to understand that when it comes to uh, birthing, this birthing process. No, I know children are half by mistake that happens, but when me and Megan decided to have children, I mean, it was, this is what we're going to do. We're ready. So when, sure enough, when she came up pregnant, it wasn't like a shock. 
We were excited. You know, and that's what prayer should be. It shouldn't be a shock to what God can do. We should say, if if we're really going to conceive something with the Holy Spirit together, if we're really going to birth this thing out, we need to realize it's not going to be easy. There's going to come a time as this process develops, that it's going to get harder, you know, but look at what's going to come forward at the end of it, at this, after this travailing period. We talked about the other day about the birth, I mean, about the fig tree and the withering of the fig tree. I want to read this uh, also to you. So Matthew chapter 21, turn with me. Because here in a little bit, I'm, I'm just got a short little devotion. We're going to spend some time in prayer. And I was talking to a friend the other day. We typically, before COVID, uh, we were having a prayer meeting once every four weeks. Every, out of the Wednesdays, we would dedicate the prayer meeting. And I had some people tell me that it's uncomfortable to pray for an entire hour. And we can be honest, it is. But why is it? It's not uncomfortable watching your favorite TV show. It's not uncomfortable, you know, sitting in line for an amusement park or watching a movie that might be three hours long or even talking to your spouse. Maybe it is dreadful for an hour. But for me, it's pretty easy. I like talking to my wife for an hour, you know. But why is it that prayer is so difficult? That the minute we pray for more than a couple minutes, our mind begins to wonder, our distractions start to come, we start to get ourselves, and you know, why is that? Why does that happen? Because we've not conditioned ourselves in the process. And also, also, I believe it comes down this. Once again, like the birthing process, it hasn't hurt yet. I think if we really pick up a burden for the lost, pick up a burden for revival, Pick up a burden for churches in this community to be revived. I'm telling you, if, if we can get that in our crawl and get hungry for that, it won't be that difficult. You know, it'll be something that we were willing to pay the price to stay up late. Ronnie Whitcomb, I'm just going to tell you, you said the other day about Plymouth Hill, uh, about Plymouth Backwater. He said, when he was growing up, he said, uh, you could hear men in the woods, up on the hill, like before revival and before church services. Men would take time out of their day and pray to the point where you can hear them from the ground. That's radical thinking in 2021. But I think we need to get back to that. To say, you know what, I'm going to, at 10 o'clock, I know I'm tired and I know I've got a, a big day ahead of me. But if this is the only time I have to dedicate to the Lord, then I'm just going to dedicate a little time to prayer. I'm telling you. You know, maybe if we kept the doors open of the church and said, hey, if you're driving by from work and you're on lunch break or something, you want to come and pray at the altar and, and we're going to leave the church doors open. But I don't care what it takes, but we need to get to prayer. Get serious about prayer. Uh, I want to get back to we were praying before services in the back room. I love that. And I think there was results in that. And I think we need to get back to that. So anyways, uh, Matthew chapter 21. Look with me. It's starting at the 17th verse. He's talking about Bethany and the fig tree. We know that from the other week. That's not really what I want to focus on, but I want to read in context, starting at verse 17. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw the fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And he said unto it, let no fruit grow on the tree, on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith, and look right here, 
It's not just about faith. If you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Thou be thou removed, and be thou cast in the sea, it shall be done. Do we believe that? I'm asking the question. Do you really believe that? Amen. Do you believe that can still happen today? Do you think it was just particularly for the disciples? We need to figure this out. Because we're going we're to draw a line and say what we're able to do and what we're not able to do. But he says right now that if you would believe and not doubt, that not only could you do this, but you could literally say to a mountain. Now we could say that means literally, or we could say there may be a spiritual mountain in your life that you've been been wanting to pray about, but maybe you've not been there, but maybe you've had faith in prayer, but there's been that little seeds of doubt. I'm telling you, we got to get hungry about it. But I believe we can still do it today. I believe the Holy Spirit could. To say into this mountain, removed, and it shall cast in the sea, and it shall be done. And then he goes on to say in verse 22, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. That's what the word says. It's what the word says. And then the, the Pharisees in verse 23, man, they were astounded. Look what they said. We talked about this the other week, about authority. And when they came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? How can we say? That's what really, that's what the rubber meets the road is. You say, do I really have the authority in prayer? Do I really have the authority through Jesus Christ? To see my lost loved ones saved. Do I really have the authority through prayer, through Jesus Christ, to see a church really revived? I mean, I want you to think for a second. Is there one church service that you can remember? Recently or all the way when you were a child? One that sticks out above the rest to say, now that was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You guys probably all have them, right? I remember Velma, your mother, said she went to one, and she said, she remembers her neck, hair on the neck of back of her neck was standing up the whole time. I just remember her telling me that. But we have those encounters. So the question we have to say is, can we still have that? Do we believe we can still have that? Do we believe? I'm looking for an answer. Yes. Okay, I believe we can. I believe we can. So, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. Before you get started. Yeah, Ted. I want to make a We even have a revival here in this church, and we got people in this church that can do a, deliver a message just as good as Billy Graham or. <laughs> and I like to see this happen, and we've got the, the people here that can do a message. And just give this some thought. Bless you, Ted. If you didn't hear Ted, he said we got we got a revival. Not even bring a preacher in. I appreciate that. But he think you may not be talking about me. <laughs> Right, you're right. Amen. I'm I, I however the Holy Spirit wants. But, listen, I heard a preacher once say, prayer does not prepare us for the battlefield. That somehow gets watered down. The reality is prayer is the battlefield. Oh yeah. If we can get across every roadblock in our prayer life, nothing else will hinder us. We think, well, I'll pray now and then I'll be ready. No, no, no. Prayer is the battlefield. That's where everything happens. We preached on that about a month ago about how literally what is done in private will be rewarded in public. That's the way God works. He wants to see the heart. He wants to see how much you want it. And once again, he said he is a rewarder of what? Those who seek him? No, that's not what the Bible says. Those who diligently seek him. Literally, there's got to be a separation. You know? 
Arnold Schwarzenegger, the big muscle guy, used to say that it was the rep when everyone stopped was where he started. He said, whenever it hurt, he said, that's when I realized that I was just starting to work out. Everyone else works out till it hurts, and then they rack the weight. Arnold says what separates everyone else from champions is they start when it begins to hurt. And man, that's good. That's really what we need to do in our prayer life. It's, it's not going to be convenient. If it's convenient, it's not, it's not fervent. It's not effectual. It's not energized. It's not, it's not hungry. We're not birthing anything. But prayer is the battlefield. And I'm thinking, we need to start to, to weep, to wail, to, to be unsatisfied with anything else. Once again, when my wife was pregnant, if she had a desire, man, she was a woman scorned if I did not fulfill that desire. I want chocolate covered raisins, and I want it right now. But that was the reality. And I'm telling you, if we get into this thing, we will not be satisfied with anything else. And we need to realize that. Later, Raymond, you know, another quote he said the other day. I just read this. The only reason we don't have revival is because we are willing to live without it. Amen. Amen. The only reason we don't have it is because we're willing to live without it. We've gotten so satisfied on something that should not satisfy. We've got so satisfied to say... Uh, and, and people also have never experienced it. Some of your generations growing up have never experienced an encounter like a true revival, a true moving of God. And I'll be honest, I'm hungry for it. I'm hungry for it. And and we're going to talk about that here in a minute before we pray that uh, we got to stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. I think it falls in leadership. I think it falls in leadership of this church. But if God's put it on you, you, you need to start. Because sometimes we say, well, I'll start after everyone starts, but... We, you know, I just got to get into my mind to say, God, I don't care. Uh, I know what you can do through me, through the authority you've given me through the Holy Spirit. So everyone else is just going to have to eat dust. You know, because here it is. I'm hungry for it. And if no one else is hungry for it, I'm still hungry for it. And if no one else is going to seek the Lord, I don't believe I, I don't believe I'm alone. And I'm thankful for that. I believe there are other people for that that are hungry. So anyways, Romans chapter 8. It's just a couple verses. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And not, verse 23 of Romans 8. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. This is a, this is a thing, this is an operation of the Holy Spirit that is truly operating. To truly groan. It says we have grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to win the redemption of our body. And then verse 26 just a couple verses down. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with what? There is that word again. Groanings. Groanings which cannot be uttered. Acts 7 and 34. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt, and I have heard there groaning. You want God to respond to your prayer? Start groaning. Start getting hungry. Where the point where you say it's so easy to pray words, but I'm telling you if you're in a condition of uh, where you're just hungry for something, God says I don't need words man, You're just it's just coming out of your bones. I can feel it, you're hungry for it you've got a burden for people. You know sometimes when we weep we can't even properly pray, but the Holy Spirit picks that up and says man that's what I'm looking for. 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 For in this we groan. For in this we groan. Earnestly desiring. Earnestly. Not just desiring, but earnestly desiring. 
to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. And then we see in Joel chapter 2, verse 17, one of my favorite verses, what I believe the heart of revival falls within the church house, within the, the leadership, within the pastors. I believe that. I believe it's me and Dover's obligation, the deacons, I mean, not obligation, but our, our leadership. I believe it's the deacons' leadership. We see that responded in, in Joel chapter 2, verse 17. Let the priests, let the ministers of the Lord weep. Doesn't say preach. Doesn't even say pray. It says let them weep. Groan. How? Get a hold of God. But let the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. And give them not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Because that's what's happening today. Wherefore they should say among the people, where is their God? That's what we want to do through revival. Prove to ourselves once again that this thing is real. Talked to a lady yesterday. Uh, over here, uh, Ashley Nicholson was coming. Bless her heart. Uh, talked to her. She said, man, she said, someone's been talking to me. She said, I don't know if it's the Lord or not. She said, maybe I need to open my ears. Maybe I need to open my eyes. I said, maybe you need to open your heart. I said, because uh, I said, I got no reason to fake this thing. She said, I know. But she said, God's been dealing with it. But that's the thing. We want to revive ourselves to say, man, this thing is authentic. This thing is genuine. We're, we're not following just some phony fable, but also to prove to the world, just like Elijah did, let's put our God to the test. You show up with your God, we'll show up with ours. And I'm telling you, ours will do, I'll do anything you can. So anyways, uh, but we see that word weep in the Hebrew is the word bakah in Joel chapter 2 verse 17. It means to express great regret. Great disappointment, great bitterness over something. It's the same Hebrew word for word for that we see in First Samuel chapter one with him. Same root word, because same. So turn to me to First Chapter First uh, Samuel chapter one. We're going to read a couple verses, and we're going to dedicate the rest of the time to prayer. I think it's the greatest account in the Bible for what true authentic prayer looks like. You want results in your prayer life? You pray like Hannah. But until you realize that you are barren, that's where Hannah was. She was barren. And that's where we're at. Look around. Look at this land where we need God to birth something. Birth revival. Birth a renewing spirit. But until we're saying, my gosh, we are barren without. So you have to understand that she had a loving husband and he had another wife. But it said, in fact, he loved Hannah more than he loved his wife. And said he gave her a wealthy portion. Gave her whatever she wanted. Did not satisfy her. I'm telling you right now. You can have all the cars in the world. You can have the biggest house in the world. You can have all the friends, money in the bank. But if you're missing something spiritually, you will not, you won't, you will not be satisfied. It does not matter. Her, her, her womb was barren. And even though he said Elkanah gave her everything she wanted, a wealthy portion did not matter. All she wanted was her womb to be open, was to conceive and to bring forth a child. And I'm telling you, nothing will satisfy me till the Holy Spirit does a work where I can see it birthed in our church and in our community. So anyways, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of, I'm going to uh, chop it up real bad, 
Ramathazophen, uh, the Mount of Ephraim, a Mount of frame, and his name was Elkanah, uh, the son of Joham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, uh, and Ephrodite. And he had two wives, and the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Panah, and Panah. Uh, had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in the Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that uh, Elkanah offered, he gave to his wife, Peninnah, uh, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Let me just say this. The Lord, the, the God does love the world. We see that illustrated in John 3.16. But can I tell you that his children have a special place? And I, and I hate to say that because it sounds... It sounds boastful, but it's not boasting of myself because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But when you're a child of the king, he will do great things for you. In fact, he will do greater things for you than that he'll do someone who is not. Because that's that's how and that's how it was for Hannah. It said, yes, he loved his other, but man, he loved her more. And it says in verse 6, and her adversary also provoked her, what's that word? Sword. Sword. For her to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. That's what the devil does. And we can either bow under the pressure of what the adversary does. Because listen, he's going to poke you to your sword. He's going to say, oh yeah, how good is your God? Yeah, it looks like he's answering that prayer for you right now. He's not doing anything. And he's not going to do anything. And that's what the adversary did to Adam. You can't have kids. You can't produce anything. And I can. And look where we're at right now. And it said, and it provoked her sore to make her fret. But in fact, it didn't hurt Hannah. It just made her pray more. And I'm telling you, the more the devil presses on me, the more I see the condition of the world, the more I see the, uh, the lost the lost people around me, it just makes me want to pray Amen. even harder. Right. Amen. Because we say to ourselves, that's what the adversary says, it can't happen. You know, to be barren in that time was a curse. I mean, it was like a, it was horrible to be barren. And I'm telling you, if you're barren in your prayer life, it's a curse. If you're barren in your prayer life, it's no good. You've got nothing else. That is the heart of your Christian life, is your prayer life. So verses 7 and verses 8. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. We could preach on a whole lot if you want to preach on fasting. (laughs) Remember the disciples and the son that was vexed, threw himself in the fire, threw himself in the water, brought him to Jesus, said his disciples, brought him to your disciples, couldn't do it. And after, sure enough, he said, bring him to me, he fixed them, healed them. And then after, when it was privately set apart, the disciples came to him and said, how come we couldn't do what you just did? He said, it's only through prayer and fasting. Till you get hungry for it, I'm telling you. And that's what fasting does. It's to see how hungry you really are. To empty yourself to say, I'm not satisfied with anything else. Even food will not do what prayer will do. And that's not easy. I've only had to fast a couple of times in life. Most miserable I've ever been in my entire life. But there are results there. 
The results are there. It wouldn't be in Scripture if it wasn't. But look what happened. She was to the point where literally she could not eat. And all she did was cry. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Once again, there is nothing external that can do what God wants to do internally with you. Nothing on the outside. He wants to birth it in here, in the groanings, in our gut, you know. That's really where, I know prayer comes from here, but I'm telling you, fervent, effectual prayer comes from here, where it hurts, you know. It's a gut punch. That's what prayer should be. And we need to get to that. Men and women used to have that. I, 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 I want to get to that place. If nobody else does, I want to get to that place. Because there was something that they had that we don't have anymore. Because we've been satisfied with everything externally. And she, he says to her, am I not better than ten sons? He says, that has nothing to do with you. I want God to do it in here. And that's what prayer does. Amen. So Hannah rose up, verse 9. After they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk, now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul. Is that, let's be honest. Does your prayer life look like bitterness of soul? Mine doesn't. I'll be honest. Does yours? How come? How come? How come we can't, where, how does it, are we too blessed? Has American gospel, has the provision of America gotten to a place where we can't be hungry for spiritual things anymore? Have we gotten that spoiled? Shame on God. I mean, shame on us that God would bless us so much that we can't even be bitter anymore in our prayer life. We can't even be hungry spiritually. We have everything we've ever needed. What could God possibly produce that I could not get from two-day free shipping? We use it a cliche, but that's really it. Is there something God could offer to us that cannot be produced outside of conceiving with the Holy Spirit? It says she was bitterness of soul. In bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And look what this. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. And let me just say this real quick. We've been there. If the bottom falls out of life, we start making conditions with God, don't we? If you do this, I'll do that. I've heard unsafe people say that. If you save my child, I promise I'll be faithful. I promise I'll accept your son, Jesus Christ. See, that's the thing. But we don't even make vows anymore. You just do it and maybe I'll do something. No, we need to be committed. And she vowed about it and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction, not the joy, the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto the handmaid a man child, then I will give unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall be no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long will thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from me. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a soulful, sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. That is what prayer looks like. 
Forget about any other scripture. That's what prayer looked like. We talked about the other day. Only Christ. They said physically it's possible to pray and to sweat drops of blood. You can break capillaries in your head if you're that earnest. Remember he said his soul was almost unto death? Well, remember he walked a few steps and actually fell. And that's what it looked like in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was the same kind of prayer we see, I think, to a greater extent. But in all the ministry, in his, in his earthly ministry, they, they raised the dead. They, they caused lepers to be healed. They saw blind men see, lame men walk. Uh, they fed 5,000 with, uh, with five loaves and two fishes. But, but all the disciples ever wanted to know, Jesus shows how to pray. That's all they ever asked him. Because forget about anything else. There is no miracle working power outside of prayer. That's where it happens. And I'm telling you, I think we are on the brink of something. And that's really why we're going we're to leave it with that. I think we're on the brink of something. I'm not joking. I can feel it. It keeps me up at night. And I hope it keeps you up at night. I think we're there. I do. We just got to get a little hungrier. And I'm, and I'm saying this for me personally, as the pastor and Delbert as well, us together. We are the example. I think the deacons and the elders and the trustees fall in after that. The leadership of the church. We want to we be hungry for you. Because like I said before, I think it doesn't matter what anyone else does. We should have that hunger for ourselves. But I want to show you two verses and then we're going to pray. Joshua 23.10 says this. One man, one man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he is that fighteth for you as he hath promised you. So we see one man, what can happen with one man. And I'm telling you, when one man actually starts praying, one woman actually starts praying, the fervent, effectual, the energized, equipped, hungry prayer, I'm telling you, it availeth, it doesn't just availeth, it availeth much. It availeth much. So we see what one man does. But Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, goes one step further in chapter 30, verse 17. One thousand shall flee at the rebuke of one. At the rebuke of five shall ye all flee. Shall ye all flee. Till ye be left as a beacon upon the top of the hill, mountain and as a sign on the hill. Imagine for a second if we could all get hungry. I mean really. Birthing pains hungry. I've seen my wife in, at, at full term. If you've ever been full term before, you can't sleep. You just toss. You can't get comfortable. You turn this way, you get uncomfortable. You turn this way, you get uncomfortable. Sometimes you got to walk it off. I mean, it's just, it's overtaking you. And I want to get to that place in prayer where literally I can't sleep at night. Where I got to wake up and go pray. And I don't mean just sit on the edge of your bed and pray. I mean go pray. I've never been one to really put my face on the ground. But I'm telling you, hey, I'll do whatever it takes to get hungry. I'll do whatever it takes. But I'm telling you, we have got to get a place where we have weeping and bitterness of soul. Where we're not hungry for anything else. If we're not weeping for this nation, who's going to be? Amen. The problems in our nation are not found in the White House. The answers to the problems in our nation are not found in the White House. They are found in the church house. They're right here. And I'm telling you, if we can get serious about prayer, if we can get serious about prayer, let me just say this. I've mentioned this before, and we're going to pray. I mentioned this before. You know, it says when we, as Christians, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and our works will be tried. And there will be one of two categories. Hey, wooden stubble, gold, silver, precious stones. 
Now, there will be men and women that have had ministries that are multi-million dollar ministries. And they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and those works will be burned up and they will be nothing. Just smoke. Hay wouldn't stubble. And I'm telling you, there are going to be some people. People that maybe have been overlooked in churches because they didn't tithe as much, they didn't do as much. But I'm telling you, those men and women were on their hands and face in their prayer closet. And they're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and their works are going to be burned up. And they never had their name on a plaque. They never had their ministry. Never had an ad in the paper. Never had a Facebook post dedicated to them. All they did was pray. And their works are going to be tried in the judgment of Christ. And they are going to be solid gold. There's not going to be an ounce of smoke. I'm telling you. I think we lose sometimes the, the reality of what really keeps our church afloat. <laughs> is it the outreaches? Maybe. Is it the good, uh, is it the good preaching? Maybe. Is it the pew colors? Probably not. It's those men and women that all they know how to do and all they want to do is pray. And they know how to get a hold of God. I'm telling you, we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that. So we're going to open up right now for prayer. We're going to dedicate a